Uh, we are going to finish 1 Peter today. We've been, uh, we've been in Peter's letters for a while. Peter is, is writing to foreigners who are, who are Christians living in the same town they always grew up in, trying to figure out how to live this Christian way of life. And, and because they've now entered into this new life of Christ, their friends and their neighbors and the people they grew up with, they no longer recognize them. So Peter's writing this letter. It's, it's a letter about suffering and a, and a letter about goodness. And, and today I want to spend some time in chapter 5, chapter 5 of, uh, of Peter's letter. And, and this is really kind of the, the summation of it all. And we're going to read all of chapter 5, so there, there's going to be some long, long, long sections of text. But Peter really in chapter 5, I, at least as I see it, as, as I think, like he is giving them his own experience. It's almost as the, his, his kind of final words to his audience, he, he's almost saying, this is what I have learned. And if you'll bear with me, we'll, we'll look and we'll see that Peter is speaking from his own experience. Let's, uh, let's look at this first section, the first four, four verses of chapter 5. Here's what Peter says. He says, and now a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder, a witness to the sufferings of Christ, and I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, pay attention to the letter, to the words in yellow today. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good. What? What's it say? Example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. So, the really, uh, I think in chapter 5, Peter gives five life lessons. And uh, I, need, uh, I need some help today to kind of communicate these lessons. So, uh, John Campbell, I haven't picked on you in a while. What, can you come up here and help me? How about a hand for John Campbell? The newest FRA student, right? Yeah? Franklin Road Academy, like we have a great history of that school. All right, so uh, John Campbell, you're going to help me uh, today. Uh, some people are visual learners, so you're going to be the visual representation of the five lessons that Peter gives us in uh, Peter chapter 5. Got it? All right, so this first lesson is, just stand right there, you're doing a great job. If you look in this first section, Peter begins talking about elders. Hold that. Great job. So the idea of elders is, is not a new idea. Uh, I mean, you can look back in the Bible all the way to the time of Moses. Like, the, the weight of leadership became too much for one man. And so it was, basically it was dispersed. And who do they disperse it to? They disperse it to the experienced, wise, old guys. Right? Think about this. I mean, for generations and generations, kings have had advisors of wise old men. Even at Aspen Grove, we have elders. And I love that Peter begins by speaking to elders. Uh, and, and what he says to them applies to all of this. But I, I want you to hear this especially. He speaks to elders as, as these kind of models of leadership, models for the community. He, that, that word actually is the word pastor. You guys familiar with this word? Uh, pastor is, is kind of a, a, a play on words that, that means lead out to pasture. 
All right, a pasture is where uh, cows graze and animals graze. And, the, and that word pasture means someone who leads others into a pasture. Uh, maybe the 23rd Psalm is familiar to you, right? It is this picture, a picture of eldership is a, is a picture of shepherding. And look what he says. Look what, look what he says to these elders. We, we know that they establish elders. Paul establishes elders in every church he goes. He picks out the old guys and says, look, I want you to be the example. What he says for them is, I want you to care for the flock that God's entrusted to you. I, I want you to, the people around you, I want you to watch over them willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you'll get out of it, but because you're eager to serve God. I don't want you to lord it over them, but lead by your own good example. I've got this friend in Florida. He works at uh, Eglin Air Force Base. I don't know if you know about this. It's pretty cool, but Eglin is the Special Forces launching point for the U.S. So all the Special Forces come through this base and go out. Like, he never, he, he tells me what he does, but I don't believe him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's always very secret. And he's got this great, I mean, like, he, like, he glows about his job. He said, man, what I, what I get to do is amazing and incredible, and I work with amazing people. But if you talk to him, he will say, man, I am looking forward to the day I can retire. Does that sound familiar? But he doesn't stop there. He says, because when I retire, I'll have more time to serve my church. Ah. Oh. I think, that, I think that's the sentiment that, that Peter's really getting at here. Like, like, and I think that's a lesson for, for our kind of culture, our kind of, I think this is, don't let this sting too deeply, but, but the idea of retirement for Peter is, is not an idea for, hey, now that you're the, the old guy, it's not a time, it, this is not a new season of self-indulgence. For Peter, Peter says, this, this new season that you enter into, maybe you are done with work, maybe you are done with some of these things, but because you are the old guy, it's not a season of self-indulgence, but self-sacrifice. Do you see that? I've got some friends that they talk about, man, I can't, I can't wait to retire because we're going to go spend time with all of our missionaries over around the world. We're just going to rent an apartment close to them just so we can say, hey, we're just going to be here for three months or one month or six months. We just want to be close and anything you need while we're here, we just want to be able to help you do that. Do you see that and sense that? Like I get mad at the guys on the golf course. I do. I think I've told you. I, you know, played with a guy on the golf course, and man, yeah, I've been retired six months, and I bought a little red convertible, and my wife and I, we've just been driving all over the country and doing all this fun stuff, and I'm saying, okay, well, what else are you doing? Well, you know, I'm resting a lot, and, and I said, okay, well, what else are you doing? He's like, well, what do you mean? And I said, man, why don't you volunteer at the, at the, at the, the boys club or the boys and girls home, Right. Why don't you pick up a shift at grace work once a week? Why do, what, how, are you, how are you serving? And, and his warning and his reminder to the old guys is, hey, remember, as you move forward, keep service and self-sacrifice out in front. How would our country be different if our leaders thought like that? So the first picture is one of leadership, of leading others out into pasture. 
The next picture in the next couple of verses, verse 5 through 7, Peter says this. He says, in the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you, dress yourselves in, what's that word? Dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Sounds like a song I used to sing. And then he says in verse 7, this is a great verse. Maybe some of you can hold on to it for this week. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. I love the sentiment of here. Of All right, so now he's talking to leaders. He's talking to old guys, but he, then he brings it down and he applies it to all of us. And he uses really like unique language. He quotes Proverbs and says, God opposes the proud but favors the humble and he says, and, and it's really fascinating. I, I don't know if you caught it. But he says, clothe yourselves with the garment of humility. You know what the garment of humility looks like? It looks like this. John Campbell. That, uh, that phrase... Clothe yourself means to tie a knot. Still alive. It says, clothe yourself. And I got, our mom's taking pictures over here, I think. <laughs> clothe yourself in a garment of humility. This is a lesson for, for leaders, but for under, everyone under the leaders too. He says, put on humility. Can you think of a moment in Peter's life where maybe he learned this lesson? Remember I told you, like these five lessons are the five lessons he learned. Can any of you think of a moment where Peter learned about tying on humility? Think about John chapter 13, verses 4 and 5. It says that Jesus himself, you guys remember this verse? Jesus himself, as he met with the disciples, took a towel and tied it around his waist and went to each of the disciples and what? Washed their feet. And Peter said, no, 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 you're not going to wash my feet. You, and Jesus says, yes, I am. And Peter says, no, you're not. And, and Jesus says, look, unless you're washed by me, you'll never be clean. Do you see Peter in this chapter, in chapter 5, speaking out of his own experience? It was Jesus who taught him that, that leadership comes, but, but in leadership we must all tie on the garment of humility. Tie the knot of humility. Let's keep going. This next verse is my favorite. Verse 8. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. All right, so I was thinking, all right, so how do I help John Campbell visualize, stay alert for, for us. And how, how can I help understand this? The zoo won't let me have a lion. 
how do I make this picture? And so uh, it made me think of Starbucks. A couple of things I love about this verse. First off, everybody gets this verse without explanation. I don't know if you're a coffee drinker, John Campbell, but um, do you guys get this verse? Like, I, I, you, can, you can take this verse right now into children's ministry, and they will all get this, right? They get it. Stay alert. The devil's like a lion out there to get us. And, and so I, I, don't need, I don't know that this verse needs, like, a lot of explanation or deep exegesis, but I, I can't resist the opportunity to tell you some lion stories. Can I talk to you about lions? So on a, on a trip to Africa, I went to this game park one time, and it wasn't like the pretty, like, nice, like, Kenyan game parks. This one was in Niger, and it was like the extra sketchy, <laughs> the extra sketchy game park. And when you go to the game park, they're usually in like a big circle or a big swath of land, and this one had the, the place you stayed, the hotel, the, the kind of hotel you stayed at was in the very middle of the park right? So you drive through the park to the middle, and, and you come to the place you stay, and what you realize really quickly is uh, uh, around where you stay, there is no fence. There, there's not a moat or a drawbridge or electric wire. There's nothing. And instead, the hotel you stay in looks much more like the cages, the animals that the zoo stay in. I'm not joking. Like the heaviest door with like a big bar on it. Like you go to the window and it has like a drape over it, but there's like heavy bars. It's heavy concrete. And so I don't know if you can imagine this, but like at this game park, you sleep in the cage and they sleep outside. And in the middle, like so all these buildings are kind of in a circle. And in the middle of the area uh, is this big open pavilion where you like everybody hangs out and you take all your meals and all that kind of stuff. But no one wants to be the first one out in the morning. Oh, man, it was, it was a crazy experience to lay in bed and to listen to what was happening outside. Some of the people that work there, they said, you know, they're like, they're drawing straws of who's going out first in the morning. And they said that some mornings they would have to go out in that, that middle pavilion where everyone, the tables were and where everyone had to eat. They have to go out early with buckets and sponges and water to wipe, to wipe the bloody lion footprints off the counter. That is awesome. My missionary friends, they camped in tents in this same park. Can you believe it? So uh, lions are not the best hunters. All right, if, if I took a stab at exegeting this passage, what I would say is lions aren't the best hunters. They're, uh, if anything, they're, they're just opportunist. You know, they're going to lay close, they're going to lay kind of hidden, and then whatever comes by, they're just going to pounce. And so I think there's a lesson there for that. But uh, lions really are, are not very fast. They're, they're actually pretty heavy. And compared to most of the prey they chase, they're, they're much, 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 much slower. Uh, in fact, uh, the, one of the hunting styles that, that lions have is referred to as grandma's footsteps. This is how lions hunt, grandma's footsteps. And if you can imagine, what you can imagine is that, that essentially lions are, they're, they're not the fastest and, and they're kind of opportunistic, and, but really what a lion is, is incredibly patient. And that's what we should watch out for. Because a lion can't cover a great distance to get to its prey, and so what a lion does is grandma's footsteps. The prey sees the lion, the lion sees the prey, and as soon as the prey glances away, the lion does this. And when the prey looks back, the lion goes, hmm. 
the lion looks somewhere else. And when the prey looks away again, the lion does this again. Sometimes in a zigzag pattern. And the prey, here's what happens. The prey gets incredibly comfortable with the lion's presence. Are you getting the message? The prey sometimes aren't that smart, frankly. They haven't always learned from past experiences. And the reality is that the prey need to be more alert. They need to be paying closer attention. And what Peter challenges is is alertness, but he challenges our vigilance. All right, so can you think of another example from Peter's life where vigilance and, and kind of staying alert and staying awake was an issue? Anything come to mind? How about Matthew chapter 26? Jesus takes his disciples into the Garden of Gethsemane. You guys remember this scene? It's late at night, and Jesus says, stay awake with me. Keep watch with me. In fact, that's the exact same language that Peter uses here. He says, keep awake. And what happens? Yeah, they fall asleep. See, Peter knows the importance and, and, and the difficulty of vigilance, but he challenges these men and women and challenges us to be vigilant. Vigilance is a part of living for Christ. Amen? Be wary. The next part, verse 9 through 12. JC, you're doing great. Try not to look so miserable. <laughs> verse 9 through 12. He says, stand firm. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. We talked about this a little bit last week. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. And he will place you on a, what are those next two words? Firm foundation. And all power to him forever. Amen. I have written and sent this short letter to you with the help of Silas, uh, probably who, who wrote this letter, whom I commend to you as a faithful brother. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. Did you hear it? He says it again and again. He says it at, at one point, he says, he, he says, I know you're experiencing suffering, but, but, but hang in there. Hang in there, and he will restore and support and strengthen you. Th that language is, it, it's almost the language of like, especially that language of restore, like that, that language is a, have you ever broken a bone? That, that language of restoration is, is to fix a, a, a fracture, to, to set what has been broken. He says, I'll support you, and, that, and that's the language of I'll make you like granite, 
Like, like there won't be a crack. And you can use your experience, even your suffering. It, it can have one of two effects. It can crumble you or it can create you. And he says, I'm going to, he will strengthen you. And in the, in the very technical Greek, he says, work out those flabby muscles. That's what he means. To strengthen you. I love one of the, the commentaries I've read, read it this way. He says, the wind will extinguish a weak flame, but it will fan a strong flame into a still greater blaze. So it must be with your faith. And in the midst of all of this is this message to stand firm. Firm foundation. Again, we draw from Peter's own life, his own experience. You remember a time where he was challenged to be firm, to stand firm. I remember a moment when Jesus Speaking specifically to Peter, all right, you're going to have to double up here. No. I don't know how to do this. There we go. There we go. Perfect. Remember what Jesus said to Peter? You remember Jesus in his own words looked into Peter's eyes and said, on this Petra, on this rock. Jesus looked at Peter himself and said, on you I will build my church. And I love that Peter takes the moment, like, like this moment, and shares it with his listeners. It's a message of of, of strength. It's a message of, of resistance. Maybe you and I have felt like, well, what could God ever do with me? How could God ever use me? Maybe, maybe Peter had those same thoughts. Uh, I'm sure at some point in this teaching, Peter is remembering his own failings. If you remember, even Peter was overcome by the devil at some point, denying Jesus, right? Peter says, it's been me. I've been there. I've d- it's, it's happened to me. But still, I am called, and Jesus has called me, and he's called you to stand firm. Our faith must be like a solid wall against which, against which the attacks of the devil exhaust themselves in vain. The devil is like a bully retreating when bravely resisted in the strength of Jesus Christ. You know, his word says that. When we resist the devil in the name of Jesus Christ, he will flee. And Peter says, I I want you to be firm. I remind you to stand firm and stand on grace. We don't stand because of our own strength or our own intelligence. It's, it's not a strength based on your own ability, but it's a strength found in what God has done for you. Stand strongly rooted on his grace. Finally, the last lesson, verse 13 and 14. This one's going to be good. 
Peter finishes the letter. He says, your sister church here in Babylon sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet each other with a kiss of love. Peace be with all of you who are in Christ. So, uh, uh, John Campbell, what do you know about kissing? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and we are all okay with this. <laughs> all right. Uh, in, in, the, in, in a deeply theological and scriptural way, uh, could you go maybe give your mom a kiss for us? You can take it, yeah. Just, just go ahead and take it with you. Go give your mom a kiss. Let's give him a hand. He did a good job for us. That was a hug. You didn't even do it. Wow. Everybody look at him until he kisses his mom. Oh. You really don't know anything about kissing. <laughs> I would tell you when I, I read this last, these last few verses, I've, I just kind of gloss over them like I always have. I, I mean, the idea of a holy kiss is, is uh, there's a lot of instances in it, frankly, uh, in the New Testament. And whenever I, whenever I read it, I just kind of gloss over it. Uh, and, and so I, I admit that today mostly was uh, what comes to light next was, was from some commentators who opened my eyes to, to some things. Um, uh, and, and part of the reason that, that I gloss over this idea of a holy kiss or the kiss of love or the, or the kiss of peace is like that's not really something we do anymore. Right, it's like when he when he says that he's just oh well just it, it's just kind of a good sentiment. It, he doesn't really intend for us to like kiss each other, does he? I mean that's uh, our guy's work day yesterday. We did not. So just indulge me. Um, we believe in the power of the kiss, though, don't we? It's a powerful thing if you think about it. Sometimes we joke about the holy handshake. I mean, a, a handshake is, is kind of one level of sentiment, and, and a hug is, is maybe another level of sentiment, but, but, but a kiss is really something else, isn't it? Uh, and, and honestly, I, I do. I think, we, I think we all believe in the power of the kiss. Uh, I'm going to even go out and on a limb and venture that uh, we need to be kissed, and we want to be kissed. No amen? Man. Um, I know uh, we've, we've got some couples here that are, that are engaged, and, uh, and this year they're, they're going to be married. Maybe some of you will sit in the audience and there'll be someone like me talking and they will exchange rings. And at the end, at the very end, they will, they will ratify and seal this really incredibly important thing with a what? With a kiss. Here's what I think. Kissing is a sacred and holy and I have some examples. 
may not believe this, but this idea of kissing, the kiss of peace, the kiss of love, kissing each other was integral, was an integral and precious part of the early church. When a person was baptized in the early church, they, when they came out of the water, they were first kissed by the person who baptized them, and then they were kissed by every person in the church. It was a, it was a way of saying, welcome to the family. Maybe you've been at the bedside of someone who is dying. Have you ever kissed someone in their deathbed? I have. It's this incredibly important and, and like emotional expression. Sometimes they kiss the cross and then they're, surround, they're kissed by everyone around them. Disciples kiss their rabbi. The disciple didn't just, wasn't just a student of the rabbi. The disciple loved the rabbi. I don't know if you think about this, but, but Jesus' disciples were probably kissed by him and they probably kissed him. It was, this, is, this is part of the reason, I don't know if you remember this scene, it's part of the reason that Judas' kiss of Jesus was so scandalous and hurtful. They also kissed as a part of the Eucharist, as a part of the Lord's Supper. It was called the peace kiss. And it was shared between Christians as they entered into a communion time together. Imagine communion, communal, community. As they entered into a time of, of communion, the kiss of peace, the kiss of love was, was a part of this. Origen, some of, the, some of the church fathers, Origen insist that the kiss of peace must be a holy and chaste and sincere thing, not like that kiss of Judas. Tertullian said, what prayer is complete from which the holy kiss is divorced? Think about that. Says, Your prayer is not even complete until you share a holy kiss. All right, so <laughs> I see why this is problematic, right? <laughs> um, uh, like to talk, even talk about the idea of Kissing each other is, is something we've, we've got to do with, with a lot of care. Like, and, and there are some inevitable problems with this, right? So if we all today practice the holy kiss to each other, we might have some fistfights. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, I, I, don't know, I don't know what would happen. But, but we all know that a, that a kiss is, can be an incredibly emotional thing. Like, and, 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 and maybe the reason we don't practice the holy kiss is I don't really want you kissing my wife. Uh, <laughs> you know, and... I don't know if, you know, there would be harassment lawsuits. You know, like, it's, it's just not, it's not really a part of our world. It's not really a part of, like, this kind of emotion and expression isn't just, it's not really a part of our culture. Um, but maybe it should be. The kiss of love, the holy kiss, for, for many of us may seem very far away. But it came from a day when the church was a real family. When Christians really did know and love each other. And, and I think maybe the lack of the Holy Kiss is, is, is maybe a tragedy for our modern church, is, is, is a tragedy for, you know, I don't know how to do this in a megachurch, you know. 
That would be an interesting day, wouldn't it? But, but, but think about it. I mean, the reason, the reason it's a tragedy is maybe we have too many people pouring into our churches who, first off, we don't know, and who, second off, don't want to be known. And a kiss would, would force us to cross that boundary and engage with each other in, in a whole new kind of way. Can you see how the power of a kiss, how a holy kiss, how a kiss of peace could be something that could strengthen a community? An incredibly intimate thing, drawing each of us into a closer relationship with each other forgiving and forgetting. I love one commentator wrote this. He said, the holy kiss is the sign that souls are mingled together and have banished all remembrance of wrongs. All injuries in the holy kiss, all injuries are forgotten and all wrongs forgiven. And that those who sat at the Lord's table when they gave each other a kiss were indeed an incredibly important unifying moment. All right, so let's practice. <laughs> All right, why don't you, uh, let's, baby steps. All right, so I want you to look at somebody and blow them a kiss. Can you handle this? All right, there we go. Zach, I got you right there, buddy. See, already you felt weird, Right? Already, it was that little bitty thing, but you, do you see the power of it? And, and, and I want to challenge us to, like, the, the oneness that can come from this expression is the oneness we should be after. Right? That's the oneness that Peter ends his letter with. Do you, do you get that? Am I making too much of this? Like, do you see the power of that, that one little verse? He says, man, remember to forgive each other and right all wrongs and be connected to each other and love each other. He says so much in that one moment. So let me wrap up. Peter sends his readers and he sends us into the world with some life lessons. He says, all of you, all Christians, but especially you elders, are called to service and self-sacrifice, not self-indulgence. Amen? In this season, this fall, we're going to enter into a season of uh, uh, bringing in new elders. We want to raise you up and help you answer a call to be an elder of, of this church. And I know you're already thinking, I'm not worthy, I'm not up to it, I'm not, I'm not feeling it. And Jesus wasn't concerned about any of those things. His calling has to supersede your fears. And so I want to tell you right now, we're looking for men who are willing to serve and to sacrifice. Not to lord it over somebody else, not for their own benefit, but because they have an appetite to serve God in everything. He goes on to say that we must again tie the knot of humility around us. When you leave here today, put that, put that apron of humility back on. Maybe when you wake up, if you, how, however you can symbol, you know, symbolically do it, put that apron of humility on. Our world desperately needs it. 
It needs to become the identity of every single Christian. Then I remind you to wake up to the dangers around us. I, I intentionally used a, a Starbucks cup. I don't know if this is going to work. Uh, but I want you to practice alertness. And so now, every time you see a Starbucks, I want you to remember that verse, 1 Peter 5, chapter 8. Stay alert. There's a million Starbucks. You're going to get a lot of reminders. But we need a lot. Stay alert. Stay vigilant. Remember that there are forces out there that are not of flesh and blood that have you in their sights. It is a real thing. It is incredibly dangerous. They are incredibly patient. So I need you to practice alertness and be alert for each other also. Keep a constant vigil. I remind you to establish yourselves firmly on a foundation of God's grace. Allow him to use and allow him to use you as a foundation for his kingdom, right? Did you, did you catch that part? He says, Peter, on you, I'm going to build good stuff. And he wants to do that same thing with you. But it only works when we trust his grace completely and fully. And finally, commit again to intimacy. Commit again to love, forgiveness, and oneness. Commit again to the kiss of peace. I can think of no better place to embody this teaching than around the Lord's table together. So in just a moment, I'm going to say a prayer and dismiss you. Around the room, we have the elements of the Lord's Supper. I think you will find all of these at this table. It's a table where Jesus sacrificed himself, gave completely of himself. It's a table where he put on humility for us. It's a table where he reminded us to stay vigilant. It's, it's a place where he taught, taught us the foundation of God's grace and committed to forgive each of us. Maybe if you're comfortable around this table, give each other a kiss. A kiss of love, a kiss of peace kiss of oneness. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. Um, I thank you for John Campbell, who, who helped uh, demonstrate this word, but I pray, God, that, that he receives it in, in a deep way, and, and I pray that for all of us. Father God, open in us the, the tough places of our heart, of our life. Move through us and speak through us. Father God, uh, help us to follow, follow Peter's own example. Father God, the, the only way we're, we're capable of, of following this teaching, of living up to it, is, is because of your son, Jesus Christ, because, because he offers all of these things to us in his own sacrifice. And so, Father God, bless us as we receive them today, as we enter into a time of communion with, with you and your son and your great Holy Spirit, but also with each other. We love you, Father, and in your son Jesus' name, everyone together says,